Delving into Dance with Andrew Westall. Throwing open the curtain on those who have made dance part of their life. Conversations about why they love it, how they do it, and what got them there in the first place. Program notes and links at delvingintodance.com. Welcome to the second episode of Delving Into Dance, where I talk with dancer and choreographer Stephanie Lake. Stephanie is known for a strong choreography with a distinct rhythmically driven work. We started our conversation talking about the difficult switch between a career primarily dancing and moving into a career of choreography. I had, I had a, a real, honest to God, a real crisis. It was awful. Yeah, it was deep and it was horrible. Yeah, I just reached a point where I saw that I had to, that there was going to have to be some kind of shift for me in order to continue in dance. I couldn't be a performer forever, even though I have continued to perform, ironically. But I could see that that was winding up. And I knew that if, um, if I wanted to keep going, I'd have to shift my focus in, more seriously into choreography. But yeah, I just I really wasn't sure if I had the, the energy or stamina or the, the kind of force of will to, to make it happen because I saw those that, those that succeeded as being incredibly tenacious and good at networking and I had this sense that it was some kind of game that you had to be good at playing or something and I really didn't think I had the capacity to, or desire to play that game. Are you playing it now? No, I don't think so. No, no, I think that was that was a, a negative perception actually, because I have continued. That that was quite a few years ago. It was kind of right at that low point of feeling like I, I needed to close the close the door on dance and let it go and shift into something else entirely. It was kind of right at that point that a whole lot of opportunities, kind of big doors swung open that I didn't even knock on. So. That was very confirming, obviously. What would have you transitioned into? To be honest, I still fantasise about having a menial job most days. <laughs> like, just before I have to go into rehearsal, because I get so nervous going into rehearsal. I don't think people realise this, but I get, I get really nervous having to direct people. I, I, I'm kind of not comfortable with it. I'm not, I'm not entirely comfortable with having to be in front of people and have people look at me ex- with expectation. So I have these fantasies about jobs where, jobs where you're not witnessed, <laughs> jobs where no one's looking at you and watching your decision making. I really envy like my partner, Robin Fox, who's a composer, and I'm super envious of his of his process, his creative process sometimes, because he gets to just sit in a room and work on things and if they're, if they're shitty, he can, he can trash them. No one has to see his mistakes, but I feel like working on choreography, you're just so witnessed all the time. It's really tough. Would, are you more of an introvert then? Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Because then it's, it's always just the moment before I go into the studio that I feel anxious. Because once I'm actually in there and, and doing things, I, I enjoy it. And I think people probably think of me as quite comfortable in that setting. 
So, so what is your process? Like once you get into the room, yeah, or even before that point, mm. what what are you thinking about? What's your process like? How do you do you have mm. a methodology for making work, or is it always I, a bit I, different? I try and alter it, but it, yeah, I do try and do different things just to just to kind of um, thwart my own. Um, instincts sometimes um, but yeah I do lots of uh, I do lots of writing and scribbling and sketching of things and um, before I go in but and I do I always I always plan the day into kind of uh, you know two hour blocks and it's hilarious because I never ever follow it but I always plan the day always plan the day <laughs> It's somehow comforting to know that there is a plan from which to deviate. So, yeah, I would... And it's usually very basic. It's like, okay, work on that work on that section for the first part and then work on these solo materials and then work on putting those solo materials together and then, and then work on this experiment and then do this, have this conversation. And, like, it's quite specific. But, yeah, never, never, ever followed which is silly, isn't it? But it's comforting mm. to have a plan. You mentioned Robin before, and yeah. you work a lot with Robin mm-hmm. on works. How do you balance balance both your relationship and the artistic and creative? Oh, it works so well for us. I think we're really lucky. Yeah, it's kind of symbiotic. It's great. And very low stress. And I love that we can just... Um, that you don't have to book in a meeting to have a collaboration, a, a collaborative chat. You can just, we can just wake up and, and start talking about an idea or over dinner or sometimes I'll walk past his studio and hear something that he's working on and I just poke my head in and say, I'll have that, thanks. I'll work with that tomorrow. It's very convenient. <laughs> um, and there's a real shorthand in the way we talk to each other. But, yeah, it's been nothing but positive for me, actually. Kind of means you don't switch off, though, right? Oh, yeah. Well, there is that. Not that that's, that's what TV's for. Is that your unwind? Yes. I'm a complete TV addict. What's on the dial at the moment? Yeah, we're looking for a project. We completely failed last night. We tried to start three different series, and none of them, none of them took. We were like misogynist, misogynist, misogynist. Just off, off they went. No way. But I, both of us are quite obsessive, I think. So we are kind. Of, I think we'd both be thinking about the work that we're working on anyway. I find it, I find it relieving to be able to, to talk to him about what we're working on at any time. And often it diffuses the stress or anxiety about it just to be able to to talk about it any time. Yeah, it it unbraids the anxiety sometimes Mm. rather than building it because I just think it's good to it's good to have that outlet. But I guess so. It's true. The negative is that it is harder to switch off. But the positives outweigh the negatives by a million miles. But actually, at the moment, we're not working together. I'm working with different musicians at the moment, and it's very different. I think there's a lot I take for granted working with Robin. Yeah. Have you got that shorthand? A bit bossier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> less boundaries. Yeah, less boundaries. Yeah, definitely. No, it's a great, it's a great thing, and very unexpected because I don't. Yeah, because we fell in love first and then started working together. It wasn't the other way around. So, and I don't, I wouldn't have anticipated that his his music. I, I was very attracted to his ideas, but I, I don't think... I didn't necessarily expect that we'd end up working together as much as we have. Put it that way. Yeah. 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 It's been you a surprise. You started dance in terms of, for most females, quite late. Mm. Mm. How old were you when you started? Um, well, I actually... I did a bit of figure skating when I was younger. I don't know if that counts, but I did do some figure skating when I was young because I grew up in Canada, and that's what everyone does. Um, and I did do a few jazz classes, jazz ballet classes when I was younger, but I really disliked it. I was very intimidated by my teacher with a high-cut leotard and kind of aggressive <laughs> methods. Um, so, <laughs> so I was in danger of being turned off dance altogether, but then I took up contemporary when I was probably, I think I was about 14, which is quite old, particularly for a female dancer, but it was pretty instantaneous. I was really into it from the moment I started and just wanted to do it all the time, but never really, never thought that that, I I just thought it was going to be my hobby. I didn't think that you could start that late and pursue it as a profession. No way. That's crazy, crazy talk. Mm. Because I'd look at the dancers, I, this is in Launceston, I'd look at the professional dancers in Taz Dance and just thought they were gods with incredible technique and those kind of pointy feet and amazing smooth skin. And I just thought that was a completely unreachable, unthinkable goal. So when did you decide that actually you can make a profession out of this? Or when did it become more than just a hobby? Um, well, I went travelling, worked in a sandwich bar and, and the Coles Deli for a year and saved up a lot of, some, well, not a lot of money, enough money to go travelling for a year. And while I was away for that year, I thought I really have to make a decision about what I'm going to do. Um, wanted to go to university, didn't know what to study. And I, it sounds corny, but I did have an epiphany. I did have an epiphany. I had a vision of myself dancing and in that moment I thought it sounds really corny when I say that loud but I did think it's dance like it was like very clear and the the thought was um, just do what you're most interested in why what's what what are we questioning here just do the thing that you're most interested in and I had absolutely no expectation of ever making any money from it fully expected to kind of do other things to earn money and the, but the, the, but I just wanted to study dance and hopefully maybe be in someone's fringe show or something like that was the, that was that were the heights of my ambition honestly so in terms of starting dance late and then studying dance mm. did you bring another aesthetic to your practice yeah I think so being that you didn't have the dainty yeah. little legs yeah. and the... <laughs> Technique, it's called. (laughs) Um, I think I did, actually. Yeah, I had a kind of freedom and sense of my own creativity, I think, that maybe people who'd, um, particularly girls, who'd done a lot of training, classical training or any kind of training, I don't know, I just... My impression was that they... There were a lot of restrictions... 
uh, a lot of things to undo, a lot of things to kind of un- unpack and un- unravel, and I didn't have any of that. I was a bit of a blank canvas. So by the time I went to BCA, I was totally confident to improvise and um, to to make things. I had no... There was no separation between being a dancer and being a choreographer. That was all just intertwined. They were braided together, and so... Yeah, I think I I was lucky that I didn't have I didn't have those kind of um, aesthetic restrictions or te- technical restrictions that I had to kind of undo. But having said that, I, there was a lot I had to catch up on in order to get to a place where I had enough of a technical foundation to work as a dancer. Did that challenge other people's expectations in terms of? starting dance a bit later and Mm. being um, I guess throwing yourself into Mm. learning and trying things out Mm. yeah I always felt like a bit of an outsider at VCA actually I always felt like a bit of a bit of a hippie kind of I never had the right shoes and my hair would never go neatly into a bun and stuff yeah I didn't feel like I knew I didn't know any of the ballet language. I didn't know the terminology. I felt like a bit of a foreigner in some ways. But I think that actually that can be a positive because you want you want individual voices in, mm. Some in of that average streak. You want, yeah, you of. want... And it's a hard thing in dance because I think particularly if you've done a lot of classical training, you are taught from a very young age to be part, to fit into the unit, particularly as a female. Mm. It's, it's about replication and, and unison and fitting that fitting some kind of mould. So that was never in my psyche, I guess, because I was so clearly never going to be in the classical world. I had no desire to be, but I think it, it had a huge... That early experience in dance had a huge impact on my sense of where I sat Did your movements kind of challenge some of those gender expectations? I loved to lift the boys, for example. Yeah, I was always really, really comfortable with with that. And I kind of felt like it was a, <laughs> like, it was like a, a feminist um, statement to do that. I loved that. We had the, there's a, a thing called Friends of the VCA at VCA with some patrons, people who donate money and every so often they get invited to come in and and watch little excerpts of things we've been working on. And I remember there were tea and sandwiches and we were asked to mill around and chat with the friends of the VCA. And some some <laughs> diminutive ladies looking up at me with kind of like sour faces, really. And they just scowled and said, oh, how do the boys lift you? And I just looked down at them and said, I lift the boys. And I was really strong. <laughs> I was really proud of it. I was a bit of a thug, I suppose, but, but yeah. How did they respond to that? I think they just they just moved away. They were not <laughs> not into it. <laughs> you know, in terms of making a work, you know, where do you look for your inspiration or mm. your ideas? Sometimes it's sometimes it's just enforced by necessity. Sometimes it's just a a deadline that's coming up or 
something's been something from the outside has made it so and I, I think I I don't mind that pressure sometimes I like that pressure and it have to forces you to think about what you're interested in in that moment but my favorite situation is to have no objective at all and it's really difficult in this kind of um, the way the funding system works it's it's just not the it's it's not feasible to say I I'd just like to make a new piece I don't know what it's about but I'm going to make a new one I wish you could just say that in a funding application but it's not possible so you have to say that it's about climate change or something and then you start with that and then you just do what you want is my experience but but actually it is it's useful sometimes to have that to have to articulate what your idea is either in a if it's a commission situation to have to say what your idea is for the piece or if it's an application for funding or something it's useful but my favorite situation is to have just an open brief where there's no where I haven't had to say what the piece is about before starting on the work and letting it evolve in the studio mm. and seeing what it's about at the end of it. In terms of commissions and working for companies mm. or um, education institutions, etc., mm. or your own work, how does it how does it change depending on who you work on? Mm. Like, is the output very different or? Mm. Yeah, I guess the mm. process. Yeah, it's For example, working different. with a Sydney dance company, mm. highly proficient mm. dancers, mm. Um, as opposed to people you collate yeah. yourself because yes. you want to work with yeah. them. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's radically different. Um, and there are, there are pros and cons to both, honestly, because I like, like, use the example of the Sydney dance. The process of making the work is so collaborative and I really, I respond a lot to the dancers that are in the room and we kind of we make the work together. So to work with dancers that have come, that don't have the same experience as me necessarily, who bring other physicalities, I love that, it's really interesting. I feel like it's a bit more of a known quantity. If I've chosen the cast, I, I, I've chosen them for a reason, and I kind of there are things that I. Um, it's a bit more curated, you know. I, I know what to expect, and I and I have an anticipation of what the combination of those people will mean. But yeah, like I recently worked with Dance North, and I hadn't worked with any of those dancers before, and that was great. The train, the the way they train is quite different to to my experience so and it, it really affected the work in a good way I thought and so that comes out during the workshopping yeah rehearsal. yeah yeah absolutely yeah because that, the way they respond to the information or the the choreographic stimulus is is really different because of their they bring what, all of their experiences and all the layers of information in their bodies come to that and means a different outcome which is good mm. definitely good I like that variety we've spoken before about female choreographers yeah and main stage works and yes. there's still in Australia a discrepancy between mm. well not just in Australia in the UK Europe it's very mm-hmm. similar mm. but there's a discrepancy between the number of 
mm. men as artistic directors and mm. choreographers on main stage works yeah. compared to women. Mm. It's funny because in my own experience, I've I've been mentored and um, inspired by large uh, a lot by women. You know, one of my major um, inspirations is Lucy Guerin, for example, who's started her own company, highly successful, uh, and a, a brilliant leader in the in the sector. So it's not like a, there's a vacuum of, of female choreographers or artistic directors in my experience, mm. but I'm ta- but, but this is quite a, a small world. The contemporary dance world is relatively small. I think we're talking about the bigger the bigger picture, um, particularly the big ballet companies, perhaps because that's where ninety five percent of the money is, uh, <laughs> and. Although I haven't yet been in that world, my my impression from the outside is that it's it must be it's something to to do with the culture, and we we touched on it before. Something about the the way that the expectation on young female dancers in their early training. I really think that that has an effect. I don't think you can totally blame it on having children or stepping away at, even though that would definitely be a part of it because it's usually at that age and stage where people would maybe shift into choreography is also the same age where people might shift out of a full-time ballet career for example to have children so yeah there, there definitely is that you can't you can't dismiss that as as a part of it but I think it is it's bigger than that just anecdotally, people that I know that, that operate in that world and in, um, with bigger, larger companies definitely talk about being overlooked. Females are, are overlooked and young men are really targeted for opportunities. It's probably not even conscious and I think that's the problem. It needs to be, I think at this point, it's so clearly a problem. And it's kind of disappointing that it's not its not in the conversation. Mm. I think it needs to be in the conversation. I think they've addressed it in theatre. And it's had an effect, right? There are programs to, to give opportunities to, to female directors. And it's had a massive effect. Are your children in dance? Oh, my, one of my daughters does hip-hop and contemporary. But she's just going to do contemporary this, this term. I can't bear the music for hip hop. <laughs> it's terrible. It's about one night stands and stuff. It's just so off the mark for eleven year olds to be dancing to that. But I didn't say that to her. But she's she's yeah. I, neither of them have any interest in in being dancers, but they just do it. Is that a relief? Definitely, definitely. <laughs> they can work the mundane jobs that you've always desired. Oh. Anything else? No, they're both very high achievers in other areas. So, what's the future? Five years? I don't know. I've been thinking about this a bit. This last five years has been so amazing and unexpected. Yeah, I don't know. I've got my I've got my private dreams. I've always got to have some kind of. I've got a I've got a vision. Yeah, nothing ever happens the way you expect. I'm slowly working at building my company, but but there've been so many great opportunities with, um, 
commissions from other companies as well. So I'm really, if, if those opportunities come, I, I just take them because that's it's just such a great situation. But yeah, I'll definitely, I'll still be making dance in five years and I wouldn't have necessarily said that five years ago. So that's a good feeling to know that. Is that about the opportunities again? Like being given yeah. those opportunities gets to give you the confidence yeah. to continue yeah. making the work and paying the bills. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've just, I've really enjoyed the last few projects I've worked on. So, oh, that's such a lie. What am I saying? I had like a complete nervous breakdown on the last one. I'm, always, I'm so revisionist. I Once a show has happened and it's kind of worked out okay, I it's rose-coloured glasses all the way and I just say, oh, it was great, I loved it. It's really not true. I... I go into complete panic attacks, but but I think in I'm, terms of the reception <laughs> of the work, you can't just throw that the out work. there and then the ma- during the making of the work, I get quite yeah I find it hard. I have so I have so much doubt and it's terrible. It's really crippling. But I, I think I'm getting a bit more, um, just more at peace with that with the the pendulousness of that. Is, Is that, that related to a deadline, like in terms of? No, because I'm quite. I'm. I think I'm relatively quick at making material, so I. I always trust that I'll finish the work in time. It's not that. It's just whether it'll be any good or not, and I always think it's going to fail. But I think probably you ask anyone who's making anything or writing anything or making anything from scratch, they probably feel the same. Mm. There's always a point halfway through where it just feels like a hot mess. And I'm not yet at a stage where I feel like I can draw on past experience and go, well, you always feel like that and it will will work out. Something will happen, you know, to degrees of success, but it'll come together. Do you think you have your own style now? Yeah, it's, it's, it's growing, I think, yeah. I've got things that I'm consistently interested in, for sure, and drawn to. I find it hard to articulate, but I think it's... Your last few works, I've noticed you've used a lot more kind of like, um, I guess you'd call it props, but like yeah. material. Materials. Materials within the space which the dancers manipulate. Yeah. Being, you know, um, yeah. polystyrene balls or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuffing Yes, yes, yeah. Well, I had a lot of fun with that stuffing foam. So that was partly, that was um, circumstantial because it was a commission from the college and so there's a set designer. It was partly because I didn't have to consider tourability or think about how this will pack down and ship if it tours and usually you have to think about that and try and make it as minimal and cheap as, as possible to move. But I didn't have to think about that at all because this is a work for 26 dancers and it was never going to go anywhere other than here. And so that was quite, that was nice to be able to think about set. And then I immediately, from there, went immediately into the process with Dance North and already had, so one thing kind of led to the other. But I don't know if I'll necessarily do that again. I think that was a moment. I think the style is probably to do with it's something to do with the speed and of change, maybe. It's about evolution of physical ideas and then the way that one thing shifts to another. So whether that's really abrupt and um, 
and some kind of sudden change or or something that evolves more slowly. For me, my the interest for me is about the way the way we get from one extreme to the other physically. So how does that play out in physicality? Well, I think because I, there's always a dual interest for me in the studio. I'm interested in a kind of recklessness and messiness and um, slightly risky behaviour, I guess. So trying to find a place with the dancers where there's a, a kind of abandon, where there's, um, yeah, almost a kind of anarchy between them and individually. But then in counterpoint to that, I'm always interested in that tight, mechanical, really rhythmically driven um, unisons and rhythmic interplay very set choreography, things that are very um, honed. So ways of getting from that that world to the other world, from the wild world to the to the tight bordered world. Pretty much across every work of the last few years, it's been about that, really. And there is definitely that thread. Um, what was the one you did in the Traverse? Jewel? Was it Jewel? Jewel, yeah, yeah. You know, like there mm. is kind of mm. a thread, mm. a similarity. I mean, they're all different. Yeah. But there is a style there. Yeah, I think so. And you don't even really know it's happening until you can look back on yeah. a few works. And you have some dance scholar in the future telling you what you hold back to oh, means. Maybe. I always try and do something different, though. That's the pathetic thing. Like, I always come into a process thinking, okay, I'm re- I really want to try and approach this differently this time. But at the same time, I think I'm happiest with what I do if I, if I work intuitively. I think if it's too... If I've got too much of an, of an objective, then it doesn't work out somehow. It's always the first instinct that's best. And so that's, that's how style develops, I suppose, doesn't mm. it? Because and it's not that every work's the same. No, because the... the at all. The setup is always so different, and, and so it makes it feel different. I guess it's, it's when you put it all together, there's a threat, yeah. and you see that in yeah. so many people's work. Yeah, definitely. You know, and it might be completely different, but yeah. And even somebody like Pina Bausch has her own yeah. style. Yeah. Yet every single work is quite distinctly different. Yeah. There's definitely mm. a commonality of in the course. way she works. Yeah, you would know a Pina Bausch piece. Um, mm. You know, and Raph's the same. Yes, true. You know, like yeah. the works are quite different, yet there's a Mm. similarity in style or in... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the movement vocabulary is very similar across the works. Yeah, Gideon as well. Absolutely. Very different contexts for works. Very different. Probably the... He's one... He's a choreographer, I think, whose works would be the most difficult to classify. So different. There's still a style in the way he I collaborated so, yes, and the way yes. he, I guess, would approach it. And what he's interested in and what he says. Yeah. yeah. So there's a thread, but it's a little bit. But so radically, each piece so radically different. Yeah. I, I admire that. I kind of look back on that now and think that was, you know, I'm talking about his, his time at, at, at the head of Chunky. Yeah, really great to take those risks, to go from a, a 
curated thing that happens in a, 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 a disused floor of a building to a solo work that uses a lot of technology to a collaboration with the theatre director to a work that uses a kinetic sculpture. You know, really... Are you a product of some of that work? Product's probably the wrong oh, word, yeah, but I mean, certainly sure, you spent a long time at Chinese Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, super influenced. Yeah. And by the... I think a lot of us were. I think about my peers that have continued. Yeah, I think we're very influenced by that. Pretty amazing period of time in terms yeah. of dance mm. in Melbourne and Australia. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, there was a point there where multiple works were touring all over the world. The production coordination was just unbelievable, as well as new work getting made here. Yeah, yeah, pretty extraordinary. Um, Amazing to build that from the ground up over that period of time and to find that audience and yeah really impressive amazing and lots of risk it wasn't like he found his thing and went okay we need to do that again yeah because that worked never I guess that was that was kind of the brand of Chunky Move though was that it was different every time same umbrella in terms of name yeah very different content and audience would never expect no to be seen no the same one no like challenged in that way I think so yeah If you'd like to find out more about Stephanie Lake's work, go to delvingintodance.com where you'll find a set of episode notes and links to her work. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes with the likes of Sydney Dance Company's artistic director, Raphael Bonicella, and New York dance critic, Deborah Jowett. Thank you for listening. 